Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, good morning, everyone. I don't know how many of you were planning to go to the earlier Mass, but the time change got you. But nonetheless, you're here, so I'm proud of you. I was thinking about doing my homily impersonating Father Pat for the whole morning. You know, running up my sleeves, sharing a lot of emotions, things like that. Uh, But I thought uh, I'll do that. I have three nights to do that with all of you, so we'll hold off. But uh, I was in college when I met Father Pat. He was a sophomore in high school. We both grew up in Hudson, Ohio. But my family's a little different uh, than many others. My dad, growing up, was an agnostic Jew. So we've had all the Jewish food, Jewish holidays, uh, but he didn't really know if he believed in God. And my mom was a lapsed Catholic, so we would go a couple times a year, for sure, Christmas and Easter, but then September, maybe throw in the winter months for a little prayer, and uh, maybe summer times before you went on a boat or something like that. Uh, but that was it. So. Growing up, religion was kind of annoying to me, right? Because it just seemed this arbitrary thing that we did on an occasion. My dad certainly didn't care very much, and my mom would feel guilty enough once in a while to get going. Now, when I was 18, my parents got divorced, and uh, God used that divorce in an odd way because my dad, two years later, became Catholic, and I'm my dad's godfather, right? And then my mom, through a big retreat, ended up coming into the church much more fully and uh, very active at both of their respective parishes. So an agnostic Jewish dad, a lapsed Catholic mom, much like all the priests you know. So (laughs) out of high school, I was off to a full-ride scholarship in jazz trumpet performance at the Cleveland Jazz Conservatory. I played with the Cleveland Jazz Orchestra, Ernie Krivda and the Fat Tuesday Big Band. It's kind of like my life. I look out and no judgments, but some of you are at the age to remember Doc Severinsen. Uh, He was my idol. If you don't know who he was, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. So trumpet was the main thing for me. But I had heard that my home parish needed help for the high school retreat. They needed people to take out trash and clean the floors. And I remember thinking, I've never volunteered in my life for anything might be good to try such a thing. So I volunteered and I went and little did I know that uh, while I was taking out the trash on the Saturday night, uh, I would be invited, pressured, to go to confession. I hadn't been since my first Holy Communion. So it had been about, about 10 years, let's say, maybe 11, and I was majoring in jazz. So needless to say, I could use a good confession. So I went and did the best one I could at the time and The fruits of that confession was an amazing change. I met Jesus in a way I never thought was possible, and I heard him say two words, I know. That was it, I know. And it was a loving knowing, like he knew what it was like to be me from the inside out. To have the kind of marriage that my parents had that ended in a divorce. He knew the pain that that was like. He knew the fears, the anxieties. He knew the regret at that point in my age already. And so the the powerful transformation in my life was, I know what's next. 
I need to become an improv comedian. So I pursued acting. Just like anyone else who encounters Jesus, right? So I then performed with Second City Improv Comedy in Cleveland, and I began to perform with the actors and teach improv comedy. Then a few years later, I entered the seminary. Now while I was at the seminary, it was pretty amazing. I was learning quite a bit, and I was fine with academics. They weren't hard for me, although I was out of practice, I'll tell you that much, majoring in music and acting. But I was good with the community. I got along with the guys. I, I liked my field ed. I was working with inner city kids, tutoring them after school. I, I was doing fine with all of that. But as the years went on in formation, I believe in hindsight, Jesus gave me a grace to realize that the right answer is never enough. I don't know if you've had this experience, but it can be a little scary. Because the right answer is one of the reasons a lot of people are Catholic. Among Protestants and Catholics, we want the right answer. You don't want to be wrong. But it's not enough. Every husband here better have the right answer to what is the eye color of your wife. But if you think that's enough for a happy marriage, you're going to have a rough weekend. <laughs> Knowledge of our faith and getting that right is indispensable. It's just not enough. Doing all the correct external practices is indispensable. Mass on Sundays is where we actually are filled up. It's mandated by God, of course. But you may feel in your heart, as I did in the seminary, there's got to be something more because it's really hard to follow this man named Jesus. And if there's not more, I don't know if I can do it. So needless to say, my fifth year in the seminary, I had a crisis of faith. And I was on a search. I became really hungry to know what is it I'm looking for. That hunger took me to Philadelphia, to Boston, to Scranton, Pennsylvania, not for the office, and then eventually to Omaha, Nebraska for a 10-week-long spirituality program where I had a spiritual director who was Mother Teresa's spiritual director, and as a young priest, St. Padre Pio was his spiritual director. And this man kicked my butt for 10 weeks. But he helped me learn what Mother Teresa was very worried about. He helped me meet the living Jesus. Mother Teresa one time said to a group of people, I am worried you don't know the living Jesus. The one who's alive and looks at you with love. The one you know not from books, but being alone with. What's amazing is, Mother Teresa said this to her nuns. These are women who have given up husband, kids, jobs, clothing, home, security. They own a bucket, one outfit, and they live on the floor and take care of the poorest people in the world. She looked at them and said, I'm worried you don't know Jesus. I can tell you as a priest of eight years, if she can say it to them, she can say it to me every day to make sure I know the living Jesus. And that's what the next three nights is about, is I pray and hope, and I put a lot of time into these missions, that coming three nights in a row, you might meet the living Jesus. And you might have the restoration, healing, and renewed hope that is given to everyone. Do you notice when people meet Jesus in the gospel, they're not like, oh good, I get to live by a lot of restrictive rules and be mocked by coworkers. That's not the fruit of meeting Jesus. 
It's not like when you meet Jesus, you're like, oh good, all my high school friends get to make fun of me now because I'm trying to be chaste and prayerful. I can't wait to tell people how great Jesus is. No, when people meet Jesus, they can see finally. When people meet Jesus, they can finally hear. When people meet Jesus, they've been crippled their whole life, never knowing what it's like to run, skip, climb, dance, and they can walk again. When people meet Jesus, they don't even know they met him because they were dead and they're given life again. See, he makes life beautiful. And for so many of us, we haven't met him consistently enough and our hearts are still hurting deeply. So, for the next three nights, 7 p.m., right here, every one of you is invited. All three nights stand alone, so if you can't make one, don't worry, still come the next night. But if you come to all three, you will see how they can help grow as well. 7 p.m., we'll have some music to soften our hearts and pray, and I'll do my best to make sure you experience everything God wants to give us during that time. Now, let me take a few minutes and give us a little spiritual meditation so that your Sunday Mass experience wasn't just an infomercial about me, okay? So in the first reading, God takes Abram out into the field, and he has him look up at all the stars. Now in Wadsworth, you guys have farms, so you guys know stars. But when you get to cities, like where I've been living, you don't see many stars. But I have a friend named Father Scott Harder. He lives in Grand Island, Nebraska, which he says is neither grand nor an island. But in Grand Island, Nebraska, they don't have what we call city folk. They're out there in the fields, and we were camping at Fort Robinson, which is the most remote corner of Nebraska. And the stars are so bright that they actually give shadows at night. And there's so many of them, you're mesmerized. That's what God was showing Abram. A field that was darkened and a sky illuminated and mesmerizing. And as Adam is in awe of the beauty and majesty, God says, do you see this? I'm going to make you more fruitful. I'm going to make you more beautiful. What Abram heard in his heart was that my desires and hopes aren't bigger than God. We can't out-desire God. The path to fulfillment is often confusing and maddening, but the fulfillment is promised. But you and I, if we're really, really honest, we're nervous about hope. Because God speaks promises to us, but we've had all sorts of promises spoken to us, all sorts of desires, and they've gone unmet, and it has hurt Maybe when you were little growing up, you wanted your mom and dad, you hoped and prayed they would say, I love you. Now, I know, they probably loved you. Food on the table, house over your head. But you know deep inside it would have been nice for them to say, you're beautiful. I love you. I believe in you. Or maybe you've had someone die in your life, and of course we always say the platitude, they're in a better place, but our hearts don't care. Our hearts say, good for them. I want another cup of coffee with grandpa or mom or dad. Or I'd love to see my kid on a swing set one more time. I had hope I'd see them grow old and life hurt. 
Or maybe it's been the past year, right, and you're a young person out there and you had hope that, all right, maybe this year I could play sports. No, sorry, COVID. Maybe this year we could have a dance. No, sorry, COVID. Maybe this year we could do work in person and not at home so I could see coworkers. Nope, sorry, COVID. And hope, disappointment. Hope, disappointment. And so do you know what we have done? We have said, I don't want to hurt anymore. I'm just not going to have hope. I'll water down life and just get by. It's going to be safer that way. And you know what? If there wasn't a Jesus Christ, you're completely right. But if Jesus can rise from the dead, and if he's alive and we can get in contact with him, hope is the logical response. Hope is what animates kids to be joyful. Hope is what gives us peace and makes us enter this world with joy. And so the Jesus who's alive in the scriptures and who's going to come to us in a moment in the sacrament, he's touching your life and mine. And he wants to go where the hurt is. He wants to go where the disappointment is. Not to wag a finger, not to say, come on, you're a Christian, you're supposed to be hopeful. But to say simply, I know. I know. And when we feel the tenderness of God, life is totally different. This is why you have a Divine Mercy Chapel. Mercy makes life possible. And that mercy has a face and a name. It's Jesus Christ. And he's with us tonight. He's with us today. And I'm inviting all of you for the next three nights to discover him for the first time, for the first time in a long time, or just simply to keep going on the journey. Night one is you have a heart and it matters. Night two is what is our journey to God? And night three is who is this God who'd actually want to be with us on this journey? Come and ex- experience the hope. Come and experience the wonder. And I pray, come and experience our Lord Jesus. Amen.